Well, the text we're focusing on this morning is found in Matthew chapter 22. I invite you to turn your devices there or pull out the Bible that's in the pew and follow along. We'll also have it up here on the screen if you would prefer to look at it that way. Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 34. Matthew twenty two thirty four. hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with his question. The teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now this question was a source of unceasing debate between the Jewish rabbis during Jesus's day. As you may know, there are 613 commandments in the first five books in the Old Testament. Out of all of those, this expert in the law is saying, which two do you think are more important than all the rest? Which two do you think help us understand and prioritize all the rest of the commandments? Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So let's zero in on the second of those two commandments. Matthew 22, verse 39. A couple of things to notice here. Jesus says the second commandment is like the first one. Well, in what way? When you say that one thing is like something else, it could imply several different things. Is the second one like the first one because it resembles it? Absolutely. They both talk about love and they both actually use the same Greek word for love. Is the second one like the first one because it's equal in importance to it? No, but yes. Without question, love for God has to come first in every dimension of our lives. And Jesus himself says that. This is the first and the greatest of the commandments. Love for God comes first, but both loves for God and neighbor have to be present for our lives to reflect God's heart and his purposes. According to Jesus in this passage, the whole Christian life can be summed up not in one of these commandments, but in both of them, in both of them together. For him, at least, they are inseparably linked. So how are we to view our neighbor? The second commandment calls us to love our neighbor. I don't think that our English translations really catch the full sense of this word love. For one, this is the Greek word agape. And it's important for us to understand that this isn't an emotion-based word. This is a decision-based word. It doesn't primarily mean having loving feelings. It means making sacrificial choices. It's a choice to put someone else ahead of you even when you know it will cost you. The other thing to notice about this word is that it's in the imperative form. This is a command and not a suggestion. A few of the English translations capture this imperative in the verse. You shall love your neighbor says the NASB, and the CEV translates it, you must love your neighbor. 
James chapter 2, verse 8 captures this imperative form when it refers to this as the royal law of love. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing what's right. I've been working my way through a really challenging book by Soren Kierkegaard called Works of Love, in which he spends a lot of time reflecting on how significant it is that this verb is an imperative. It comes to us as a command. He says, only law can give freedom when it comes to love. It's an interesting paradox. He goes on to explain, you shall makes love free. It gives it a blessed independence. Such a love is not dependent on this or that condition. He says that all of us prefer some people over others. We're drawn to people who like us or who are like us or who share our convictions or who are just easy for us to get along with for whatever reason. We all prefer some people over others. But the temptation is to define those we prefer, those we agree with, those we are drawn to as our neighbors and just to love them which has us loving on the basis of preference, loving those who come easy to us. And Kierkegaard challenges us and says that's not consistent with this passage. Jesus makes it clear that we don't have the freedom to direct our love only to those that we get along with easily or have some sort of connection with. Another book that I've been reading recently and have really been challenged by, one that I'm walking through right now with the session and also with our ministerial staff, is a book that's called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church by Alan Kreider. Kreider is a church historian, and in this book, he is answering the question why the early church grew so dramatically when it started out as just an insignificant movement in the midst of a whole sea of religious options. He says it is largely because of the attractive lives that the believers lived in front of the unbelieving world. Well, according to Kreider, the scripture verse, according to the, the, the records that we have coming out of that era of history, the scripture verse that was taught on and preached on more than any other verse during the first 300 years of the church was Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48, which reiterates this call to love indiscriminately in just the same way that our Heavenly Father does. It says... You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. So if you love those who love you, what reward will you get for that? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than any others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or as the version of Luke's gospel puts it, be compassionate, therefore, just as your heavenly Father is compassionate. According to Kierkegaard, love for neighbor can't be based on preferences. Your neighbor is every man. And now there are several passages I'm reading here that refer to all of humanity in the masculine. I assume you're making that translation with me. This isn't just talking about men. Your neighbor is every man. He is not your neighbor on the basis of distinctions, nor on the basis of likeness to you as being different than other men. He is your neighbor on the basis of equality with you before God. And this equality every man has. 
You shall love your neighbor. It's a command. Go then and do this, Kierkegaard says. Turning outwards, embracing all, loving everyone in particular, but no one in partiality. I love that. Jesus says we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. In this context, as means in the same way. Here's how three different translations capture this. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as well as you love yourself. Love your neighbor the same as you love yourself. Isn't this really saying love your neighbor as if she, as if he were yourself? This is really just another form of the golden rule. Do I treat my neighbors the way I would have them treat me? But it's even more pointed. Do I treat my neighbor the way I treat myself? I'm called to see my neighbor as another me. Having the same importance, the same priority, the same claim to my time and attention as I have from myself. So in a world with 8 billion fellow human beings, how do we decide where to focus our love when it comes to loving our neighbor? We can't love everyone. Augustine is helpful here. In his book on Christian doctrine, he writes, all men are to be loved equally, but since you cannot do good to all, you are to pay special regard to those who, by accidents of time or place or circumstance, are brought into closer connection with you. You must take the matter as decided for you by a sort of lot, according as each man happens for the time being to be more closely connected to you. Kierkegaard says something similar. Who then is our neighbor? The word is clearly derived from a word that means near dweller. Consequently, your neighbor is he who dwells nearer than anyone else. In his sovereignty and wisdom, in a way that often seems to us to be random, God has placed certain people around us in certain seasons of our lives. And he calls us to show love to them, to our literal neighbors in his name. Not just to think of neighbors as sort of a, a concept, sort of a, a lump-all category like humanity, but flesh and blood individuals, men and women and young people and children, that he has plunked right around me in the life that I am living. So in the sovereignty and wisdom of God, who are your neighbors? Just bring their faces to mind. Who are the people in the houses on either side of you and across the street? Who are the people in the apartments next door to you and across the hallway? Who are the kids sitting in the desks next to yours every day when you go to class? Who are the coworkers in the cubicles or the offices on either side of you? Who are your neighbors? Jesus says, love them. I don't choose who lives in the house or the apartment next to mine or who sits in the desk next to mine or who works in the cubicle next to mine, but I do choose how I respond to them. So here are some thoughts about how to approach our interactions with our neighbors. This is where we get really practical. First of all, I believe that we are called to pray, but not just for our neighbors and for our neighborhood. Certainly, pray for them. And if it seems appropriate, let them know that you're praying for them. That can really be meaningful at times. But I want to encourage you to start by praying for you, for who you are in your neighborhood. 
When we do that, we are following Paul's example when he asked the Colossians in Colossians chapter four, verse three, to pray for him as he was seeking to live out a life of love and faith um, among non-believers. Pray that God would give you a heart of love for your neighbors. Pray that God would give you his eyes and his heart for those that he has placed right around you. Pray that he would equip you to live a life of love in your neighborhood. And pray that he would open the doors to your neighbor's hearts. As we began to discern that God was calling us to this extended season of focusing on loving, I felt convicted and I began to be more intentional in praying about reaching out and thinking about reaching out to my own neighbors. But I'll be really honest with you, I had no clue what I was doing, none. But as a result of my praying for who I was in my neighborhood, two things happened. First, God began to form in me a love for the people that he had put around me. Not just a kingdom strategic concern for them, but a genuine love for them. And second, as a result of praying for that, I began to feel God's leading and how to approach that. For me, I felt prompted by God to use COVID as an excuse to introduce, reintroduce myself to my neighbors by starting a neighborhood directory and also by asking if anyone had any needs that they uh, would want to share with the rest of us or any resources that they would want to make available to one another as neighbors. We have 20 houses on our street and another four at the top of our street that together make a contiguous neighborhood. Finally, just this week, after more than two years of doing this neighborhood directory, I finally got the last of our neighbor's contact information. So first, pray. Second, pause. Said another way, make time. Leave margin in your schedule to connect with your neighbors. This requires us to no longer see our neighborhood as the tunnel through which we race to get to and from our home. We need to slow down and give ourselves room and freedom to engage with those we encounter around us. Yesterday, I was grabbing the mail and a neighbor was walking down our sidewalk and I, I called out to him by name and I greeted him, but I didn't stop. I went to the mail and I grabbed it and I ran inside the house before he got to me because I didn't have enough time to stop and talk to him. And For most of us, think about this. For most of us, the most valuable thing that we can be generous with is not our money. It's our time. What would happen if in regards to our time, we followed the principle of Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, that say, when you reap the harvest of your land... Do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather in all the gleanings of your harvest. Don't go over your vineyard a second time or, or pick up all the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Don't book every minute of your life. Find excuses to be outside. Slow down as you go through your neighborhood or down the hallway. Leave margin to roll down your window and talk to the person that you see. Get to class a few minutes early so that you can talk to the students that God has put next to you every single day. And make time on your schedule to have people over. 
setting aside time for neighborhood gatherings and to practice hospitality and have meals with your neighbor. Pray, pause, and pursue. One of the things that I learned when I started the neighborhood directory is that virtually everyone longs for connection, but everybody is waiting for someone else to take the first step. We had a neighborhood drop-in for donuts thing at the end of our driveway a couple Saturdays ago. And I'm thinking maybe two people are going to come. Forty people came from our neighborhood. Take a small risk. Wave. Greet your neighbor. Walk across the street. Introduce yourself. Be willing for it to be awkward. Give your name and ask for theirs, even if it's the ninth time you do that. Learn the names of their dogs. Learn the name of their kids. In my neighborhood directory, all the dogs in the neighborhood, and there are 12 of them, are all listed in our directory. <laughs> Sitting next to someone in school, reach out. How's your day going? Cool shoes. Are you in my biology class too? Do you feel like you're ready for this test? Once you meet them, keep pursuing them. Show interest. Practice curiosity. Ask questions and find out more about them. Listen. Listen well. One of the best ways we can love anybody within the body of Christ or out in the world is to ask good questions and then just to listen. When they share things going on with them, keep pursuing. Follow up on the things that they share about. Pray about the things that they share about and let them know you're doing that if that seems appropriate. And ask them about those things that they share with you the next time you see them. And as you keep pursuing, you are going to begin to learn about their needs. You won't be able to help it. You will start to learn about their needs. So find ways to respond to them. Offer help or don't even offer help. Just provide it. Just do something. And don't be afraid to ask for help. People love to feel that they are being helpful, that they're making a difference, that they have something to contribute. And it puts us in the position of being the weak one, us in the position of being the one with the need instead of the one with all the answers. Asking for help is a great way to begin to build a friendship with someone in your neighborhood. And last, point past you. Do your neighbors know that you are a follower of Christ? It is so important that they do. It is so important that they do. So they don't just think you're being a Boy Scout and being a good person. Point past yourself with your words. Let your neighbors know that your allegiance to Jesus is the thing that makes sense of your life. When they ask your weekend plans, tell them that, that part of your plans are to go to church. When you are talking about your life. Mention some of the things you're praying about or mention some of the ways that you're experiencing God at work in your life. When you are sharing your opinions, when you're talking about all that's going on in the world, I would really encourage you at some point along the way to say, as a follower of Christ, I have this perspective or, or st have this starting point or approach this issue in this way. Point past yourself with your words. But point past yourself with your life as well. Live a life that requires explanation. Live a life that doesn't make any sense without some sort of point of reference outside of yourself. 
Justin was a leader in the church in Rome in about 150 AD. And in his teachings, he repeatedly emphasized how crucial it was to our witness that we live lives consistent with our faith. And this is, this is his thought, and this is so challenging. For Justin, Christian teachings are incomprehensible without lives that exegete or interpret them. Christian teachings are incomprehensible without lives that interpret them. How does your life help interpret the Christian faith? Minutius Felix, writing about the same time as Justin, said, beauty of life encourages strangers to join the ranks. Would your neighbor see your life as beautiful? Many of you, I know the answer is yes. Billy Graham once said, we are the Bibles the world is reading. Now, the ultimate desire, of course, is for your neighbors to come to know Christ. As Augustine says, we love ourselves if we love God, and we truly love our neighbors as ourselves, according to the second great commandment, if so far as is in our power, we persuade them to a similar love for God. Here's something that I've become persuaded of. When I start thinking in terms of loving my neighbor, my concern for their spiritual well-being only grows because it begins to be personal. Here's something else that I'm becoming persuaded of. If I become less concerned about doing good things in a calculated effort to try to reach my neighbors, and I become more concerned about simply loving my neighbors, I will actually become more effective at reaching my neighbors. What I found is that spiritual themes will come up much more often and much more easily and naturally if I'm thinking about how to love you than if I am thinking about how to talk to you about spiritual things. A couple of weeks ago, I was out cutting the grass. It was dusk. These days are getting shorter and shorter, and I was kind of racing the sunset. And first, a neighbor wandered over and talked with me for a while about things that she is learning about herself since the death of her husband. And then right after she left, a couple walked by and they stopped to talk to me to tell me about his cancer that is threatening his life and an upcoming surgery. And then right after they walked on, a man stopped as he was walking his dog and he wanted to give me an update on some struggles that he has been having at work that I told him I would pray about for him and I told him the next time I saw him, I wanted to hear how things were going. In all three conversations, we talked about God and we talked about spiritual things. Not because I tried to steer the conversation there, but because love naturally led it there. I never got my lawn cut. <laughs> but that was just fine with me. Pray, pause, pursue point past you. You hear God's invitation? Let me close with this. Someone in the church uh, sent me an email a couple of weeks ago after an interaction that he had with a neighbor after church. This is what he writes. So we pulled into our garage after church today and I saw a neighbor whom we've gotten to know well walking his dog down our street. I walked out to talk with him as we often do chatting about some things in the neighborhood. 
And then, noting I was wearing a polo shirt and long pants, it went like this. So, are you just getting back from church? Yes. So what was the sermon about today? <laughs> well, it was about understanding the scriptures and applying it well. The man started laughing loudly and said, according to whose interpretation then? And he kept chuckling to himself cynically. Well, that was a major point. I love this. I love this moment where this man, as part of our congregation, was not daunted by that, but saw in that uh, comment that sounded like I'm shutting down the conversation an invitation. So he said, well, that was a major point. He actually encouraged us just to read the scripture for ourselves and to seek to understand them for ourselves. Hmm. Long pause. You know, I just downloaded a reading program on C.S. Lewis's writings. A friend recommended it. Really? Lewis is a solid thinker and writer. He has helped me a lot. Yeah, a pastor I knew a long time ago always went on and on about Lewis. Another pause. I guess I'm getting old enough to want to look into this again. Things never happen by accident. And then this man in our congregation wrote, fascinating. Who knows where this goes, but thought you'd appreciate it. God is at work in ways we'll never fully comprehend. In reply, I told him how much I love that story, asked if I could share it with the church family. And I agreed with him that God is always at work, but often in ways that we don't see or understand. I told him a neighbor had just sent me a text following this drop-in for donut thing. And this is what it said. Thank you for loving on people in our neighborhood the way you do. I see you and Sharon investing in people every single day, and it's just so encouraging to see that. To which my reaction was, are you referring to me? What I see is me, us, trying in a left-handed, clunky way, feeling awkward the entire time in our thin margin of time, trying to connect as best we can and not feeling particularly adept at any of it. We really don't know what we're doing and we're making this up as we go along. But what big things God makes of small bits of simple availability. And this man's reply back to me, yes, Left-handed, clumsy, stumbling. And we serve a mighty God who works anyway. It also says something about the reality of relationships in the world when something so simple seems remarkable. The bar is a lot lower to building relationships than we tell ourselves, to which I would say, amen. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What is God's invitation to you, to us, this morning?